For centuries, humans have been growing alongside our botanical brethren. Our histories have mixed and mingled to bring us modern medical marvels, faded folklore, and everything in between. Of course, in order to understand the plant, we have to start with its roots. I'm M. Governor Gaddis, and this is Rooted. Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of Rooted. This week, we are joined by the lovely, talented, and brilliant host of Something Rather Than Nothing, podcast host, Ken Vellante. Ken, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your show? Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Em. Um, very happy to be on this show. Uh, it's a, actually a special pleasure. Um, I've listened to all your episodes and, as you know, uh, really enjoy your show. Um, yeah, so I'm the host of Something Rather Than Nothing, which is uh, I've made for, I've been recording for over four years, uh, the four-year anniversary of the show being July, you know, 2023. I started in 2019 and uh, up towards 190 plus episodes. And it's a philosophy and art show in its inception, but it's developed into many different areas of exploring, you know, the question the question of the show is why is there something rather than nothing? And it's like the grandest philosophical question. And I think that by starting consideration of that question there, there's a lot of places to go to look how people are creative, look how people are trying to empower themselves. I've tied concepts of mental health and health and the idea of liberation and being yourself and expressing yourself no matter where you come from. Um, so I try to celebrate that instinct. I'm proud that the show has had uh, probably two out of every three guests have been non-male gender to try to give a lot of space to newer artists, uh, established artists and creators. I'm also proud to have had uh, 18 indigenous guests from more than 20 uh, indigenous nations during the show. So I think in some, I'm really excited about uh, the show and what I do and how people respond to it, but also what it does for me in exploring things that I've honestly been exploring since I was a, a little kid. I'm uh, 50 now, but um, there's a lot of things I've been excited about when I was five or six, and I'm still excited about now, including what we'll end up talking about with sunflowers being <laughs> Uh, being one of those, being one of those things. Finally, I say for myself, I live in uh, Oregon. My day job is as a um, union representative for teachers, food service workers, uh, bus drivers, uh, special education assistants, uh, electricians, some tradespeople, maintenance and grounds, and just trying to always to support the people who work in our um, public education system. So that's like a lot of my time goes towards that. And the other tends to be expressive and artistic through um, painting, uh, podcasting, uh, short filmmaking. So I stay busy and I think properly as much as I can intellectually energized. So, and being on your show is part of it. And talking about sunflowers is uh, as is important uh, sometimes as why there's something rather than nothing. So. I appreciate you. Absolutely. I appreciate you as well. And I'm just 
so thrilled to have you here as a guest. So thank you so much for joining. And for this episode, like you mentioned, you did choose sunflowers to learn and talk about. So could you tell us a little bit more about kind of your personal lore with sunflowers and why you wanted to learn more about them today? Yeah, yeah, I've thought about this, and I think there's some succinct points that that I've come to. Uh, one of the things that I had written down, and now you can hear fumbling a paper because I want to read it directly, is that I've always been moved and proud of the grand majesty of sunflowers flourishing in an urban summer. I think I got it from my mom. So that's, I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which is a uh, uh, birthplace of the American re- Industrial Revolution. And when I grew up there, manufacturers, you know, it's a common story in some of the down manufacturing times in the 70s and 80s in the United States, um, a lot of the uh, manufacturing jobs, including some at Hasbro Toy Manufacturing, had left town. So Pawtucket was really kind of, you know, a, a place that was in the position of rapid transformation to something else than manufacturing. And in the cities, I've, I think maybe when I was a little kid, you tend to notice gardens and flowers because there might be less space. You know, this is not the country uh, to grow things. And uh, I, I think there's the phenomena of urban gardening, of using spaces that look uh, industrial or, you know, concrete, uh, where people who love plants, you know, plant them and do their gardens. An author and a former professor of mine, a friend of mine, Mary Capello, has written a lot of books, and she's concentrated on uh, one in a Philadelphia neighborhood growing up in a, you know, a ethnically Italian-American uh, Philadelphia neighborhood and the importance throughout the ta- in, in the neighborhood of um, the flowers that people put out in the gardens. It was a celebration of life. So it helped me collect my thinking. Um, the name of that book is called Night Bloom. All right, sunflowers. Uh, in the small backyard in Pawtucket, my mom's green thumb loved plants. I got all that from her, completely from her. My dad liked plants too, but my mom's the plant person. And we'd grow our garden. And of course, in New England, it's super rocky soil. I remember getting out the shovel and like taking out rocks. <laughs> and, you know, because all, all rocky soil there. And, uh, you know, building a garden tomatoes, plants, peppers, all that. But my proudest ones were the sunflowers that were up against the high picket fence, maybe six or seven feet. And I have a couple photos of which I'll try to track down of just me standing up, you know, climbing up the fence, trying to be taller uh, than than the sunflower. And I just, that image is just frozen in my head. And I was always so excited by this simple fact. How the heck do sunflowers grow so fast, so tall, so beautifully, and just are like these, I don't know, gods of plants in no time. Um, so the energy and the power of um, the sunflower, in particular coming out of urban soil, uh, is, I don't know, it's, uh, poetic and, and, and beautiful to me. And uh, I, can, I, I grow sunflowers uh, just about each season that I can recall in different locations uh, every single year. So love me some sunflowers. Oh my gosh. I love them too. And even right now as we're recording, 
Uh, my podcast studio is also my greenhouse and our guest room. And so I have like a big tray just filled with probably, gosh, 50 or 60 sunflower starts. So very fitting for this oh episode. My goodness. I'll have to send you a picture. 50 to 60. Yeah. Just that number is wonderful. 50 to 60. That's the perfect number if it's not a thousand. Thank you. <laughs> If I could fit a thousand in here, there would be a thousand, but they're all different varieties because <laughs> I too am just enraptured with the beauty that is sunflowers. Um, are you ready to learn a little bit more about them? I am absolutely ready. Perfect. So obviously, like we've just alluded to, there are hundreds of different varieties of sunflowers out there. Um, and that's because people have a tendency to like when we really like something, especially in the plant world, we tend to hybridize it just to make more options for ourselves. So because a sunflower is such a stunning flower, we've really spent a lot of time making new varieties. But today we're just going to focus on some of the general facts because a lot of these sunflower species are just really similar across the board. So the sunflower's scientific name is Helianthanthus, which is the most common variety. It's the annual sunflower that you kind of see everywhere. We're talking that big, tall stalk, that massive flower head, and that dark center that's just filled with hundreds of seeds. And they are part of the aster family, which has famous family members like daisies, carnations, lettuce, and even artichokes. They're native to North and Central America, but now they're globally spread with Russia and Ukraine actually growing the most. And a big part of that is just that they are, as you mentioned, just not picky. They're pretty easygoing plants and they grow quite prolifically. So it's a good option for areas that have kind of like rougher soil that's really challenging to grow in. They tend to really like well-draining soil, but they do just fine in areas without like a ton of nutrients or if you have a little bit of water buildup, they're going to be okay. They're pretty rough and tumble, which is why they're such a popular choice in plants and gardens especially like early gardeners will oftentimes choose to grow sunflowers just because they're beautiful. So it's kind of an easy win and it can kind of help fight against erosion in areas where there aren't a ton of plants. And they can also really help loosen up that soil so that throughout the seasons, you can really start building off of that. And one common misconception about sunflowers is actually that they always follow the sun. So it's true that younger sunflowers, as they're establishing, do follow the sun throughout the day. And then every night they kind of turn back to face east so that they can kind of follow the sun again. And that process is called heliotropism. And while that's true of the younger ones, it's not actually true of the mature flowers, which eventually do stay in kind of a fixed position, just facing where they find they get the most sun throughout the day. And then there's not a ton of mythology around sunflowers that I could find. And a lot of that is likely due to the fact that sunflowers are actually native to North America. And unfortunately, a lot of the histories that we have of native people have been lost due to colonization and lack of proper care in terms of recording from people who did the colonizing. So we don't have a ton of these stories that are easy to access. From my research, I was able to find a story from Greek mythology, but there's a lot of speculation that this was likely just added in kind of after the fact, so do bear that in mind with this story. But the story goes that there was a young woman who fell in love with Apollo, but Apollo, as we all know, was a very busy guy. 
So he never really stopped to talk with her, which was obviously kind of upsetting, you know, unrequited love, but she didn't let it stop her. She was just absolutely determined to like bask in his glory, wanted to just stare at him all day. So she would actually sit and watch him fly by every day and she never ever moved from the spot. So day in, day out, she was just sitting there, eyes fixed on the sky, waiting for Apollo, just hoping she could catch a glimpse of him. And then the next part is also a little muddled in terms of who exactly did this, whether it was Apollo himself or some of the other gods. But eventually it was decided that the best course of action would actually be to turn this woman into a sunflower so that she could continue to watch Apollo without shriveling away into nothing. Um, she had become like so obsessed with him and she was not leaving the spot. So the gods were kind of like, okay, it's a little weird. We think the humane thing to do is to make her into a flower so she can get all the nutrients and stuff she needs, but she doesn't have to leave. And so, like I mentioned, we're not sure that this is really a part of Greek mythology because sunflowers weren't even taken to Europe until the 1600s, let alone Greece. So it's very likely that they wouldn't have been a part of Greek mythology. But this is a large part of why in florography, sunflowers have grown to symbolize love, loyalty, and strength. Mostly because this Greek mythology, you know, she loved him so much and she was so determined to stay where she was that almost nothing deterred her from leaving. But luckily, Greek mythology isn't the only place where sunflowers do appear in folklore and tradition. They were extremely important to native peoples of North and Central America. So in Mexico, we do get a little bit more of a story. The Aztec people often used sunflowers as a symbol of the sun. And because of that, they also were used as a symbol of the sun and war god. And they also typically called them shield flowers due to the very obvious shape. You know, they really represented a shield. They're large and round and they were connected to that war god. So that made a lot of sense for them. But they didn't just use them for food. Obviously, that has always been a really big part of sunflowers. Their seeds are very nutritious. So they provide a lot of really important things for our diet. But they were also used as medicine to soothe stomach aches, and they were often gifted to high-status people and visitors because of its importance throughout the culture and because they were so beautiful. So this was like a really high-regarded plant in that culture because of all of the ties they had to it. And interestingly, in North America, the earliest record we have of them through the pollen record is actually in eastern Kentucky where we believe due to the concentrations of pollen and some of the other things we found at that site, that they were being domesticated for food and medicine as well. So this was an example of like early farming. And here in North America, sunflowers were also the official symbol of the suffragette movement. It's kind of a funny story about how this came to be, but essentially it was adapted from the campaign in Kansas at the time. Um, so in Kansas, sunflowers were and I believe are the state flower and people there who did support women's rights to vote wore yellow, like a yellow sash, and they decorated all of their signs. They wore them in their hair. Essentially, everything had sunflowers on them just to kind of say like we're Kansas, we support and appreciate women and we want their voice to be heard here. Um, and then the opposition there wore red 
with that just kind of being the norm for the rest of the country too. So everyone who supported suffragettes and the women's right to vote said like, rah, rah, let's wear sunflowers. And then everyone who was kind of like, "Mm, we don't really care about what women have to say. They all wore red and they wore red roses and things to kind of symbolize that they didn't believe that women should have the right to vote. But obviously, we use them for a lot more than symbolism, both back then and today. Of course, when a lot of us think of sunflowers, we think of the seeds, the big flower heads that can be eaten, and the oil that we use in cooking. And of course, that's a huge part of why they've become such a prized crop in both food production and in the garden. But we also use their petals in things like tinctures and teas. The petals are actually a really common additive in tea. If you ever get one that is like a loose leaf floral tea, a lot of times people will put sunflower petals in there, mostly just because it's pretty. They don't really have a taste, but they are really pretty. So that makes sense. And they're also really helpful for preventing erosion since they're perfectly happy in poor soil that doesn't require a lot of water, especially for their size. So They're a really, really excellent choice in early gardens, and that's why they're commonly planted in reclaimed urban areas through projects like the Sunflower Plus Project out of St. Louis, Missouri, as part of the Earthway Center for the Missouri Botanical Gardens ongoing projects. They essentially take these sunflower seeds and they go to lots in communities that often are overlooked. So they go to these big abandoned lots and they turn them into really large sunflower fields that residents can then care for and even harvest from. So they make for really amazing photo ops, obviously, which not only encourages more foot traffic in those areas, but with foot traffic obviously comes people paying more attention, comes popularity for businesses. So they really help to drive community engagement and interaction, not only just for residents of that area, but for people who are visiting And it also is helping to improve the health of the land that they're growing on. So obviously people are there tending to them. So we're getting more people who care about the environment into this area a lot more regularly. But sunflowers are also helping to kind of loosen up that soil and make it so it's more workable again, since this land has just been neglected and not properly cared for for years and years. So that's just another way we're using them. Any questions or anything, Ken? Wow. I, uh, well, it certainly makes me uh, think about a lot. Uh, one thing I just wanted to say is, as, as I thought about the mentioning, you know, the, the growth of the flowers and things like that, um, I know in my head, I think I've really connected to that phenomenon. Uh, I lived in the Midwest and thinking of corn and how quickly corn grows and stalks of corn. It's like maybe a, I have a fascination with fast growing large plants that are just like kind of crucial and very helpful uh to us and just spending some time looking at that but um i'd mentioned some of my city history but um i had spent a lot of time uh in wisconsin rural a farming area in western wisconsin uh outside of eau claire in osseo wisconsin uh 130 acre farm uh, that i would visit and you know so i definitely have i've also had a different interaction uh with with plants in in large fields but the one thing that clicked into my head when you're talking about the Aztec background and thinking of the um, uh, the the use and importance of the symbol of the sunflower, I was thinking of Rage Against the Machine, uh, 
the people of the sun, a song that I love on um, this one or the people of the sun. And it really connected in my head, the, the history there and the importance of the sun and uh, sunflowers. So I'm stimulated <laughs> by, by what I learned. <laughs> I love that. And that's such a good connection. Yeah. My brain didn't make that one. So I love that yours did. That's so interesting. I'll have to link to that song so that if people haven't heard it, they can check it out. Yeah, they'll they they really enjoy it. It's a it's a great song of resistance. The other thing I wanted to say, uh, Em, I started to think about uh, when you were talking uh, in my head. Of course, you know, doing the the art show that I do about you know how I just really adore some of the lovely uh, maybe still life depictions of 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 some of sunflowers and uh, Monet, and also I started to think about art, um, my relationship with the color yellow. Um, and I've talked about this a couple times on the show that I was never really like into yellow as a color. I was always like into I don't know, other colors. But when I started painting, there's only one color which like I completely endure and love in all its shades and using it in painting. And it's yellow. So I found it fascinating when I started painting how it changed my relationship with with colors and uh you know by using them with painting and i just adore yellows so yellows and sunflowers i got something connected there in my head (laughs) i love that and that's such an interesting point that like as you started painting that it actually changed kind of the way that you viewed yellow that's so interesting yeah it uh it really did change it and um it was connected to as you think about visual or as I started to think about visual arts, whether video or painting, um, I started to see the the world or what I would pick out in my field of vision in a very different way. So as I started painting, I became more highly sensitive to color and noticing what color was doing to an area or mood or the painting itself. And that's that that was just a transformation in me trying to create through through color and I just found it fascinating because I found myself sensitive to being like you know dropping down on uh just a different uh relationship so it's so cool it's a it's a cool thing and it's cool to hear about that and I'm just thinking about you know that yellow of sunflowers and the, the yellow sun flying them uh you know shining down upon them so really cool really cool symbol and idea Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting because like we were talking about with the Aztecs, it's always been such an important part of those people's history and culture. Like they were really high regarded in terms of flowers and only gifted to people that they viewed as being of high importance. So I think that's really interesting. And I think it says a lot about the color yellow and the role that it plays. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's great to learn about the history. I, I, was thinking about all these different type of plants and it's almost sometimes like uh, when somebody asks you which band you really like when your brain goes into different types of areas you're like if I'm in the proper mood I'll be talking about the doors all the time or if I'm in the proper mood I'll be talking about metal and my favorite band neurosis and answering the question so uh, it's nice for us to land uh, on sunflowers and I appreciate I appreciate learning so much about them. Yes, thank you. And Ken, where can people find you to learn more about you and your show, Something Rather Than Nothing? 
Oh yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, something rather than nothing is it's. Uh, I'm I'm proud to say is a rapidly growing show that covers a wide uh, variety of areas. You can listen to it. People, a lot of people find it on uh, Spotify. Listen to it that way. It's on all major uh, outlets. I've also taken care to try to find outlets where it's not normally. Um, distributed uh, maybe around the world. So I've um, placed it on the Geo Sabin uh, podcast, which is the most popular podcast player uh, in the country of India. I placed it on a fountain app, which is a kind of value for value exchange where people give small amounts of money for support uh, of your show and listening and, and liking it. So I try to place it really everywhere you can find it. Also, it can be found on the recently launched website, which is www.somethingratherthannothing.com. And uh, you can find uh, the shows there connected to the host Zencaster. You can find uh, some of the art from the show. You can find, uh, you can sign up for the newsletter and there'll be uh, coming soon. There'll be a, a newsletter and in uh, in the blog. So um happy to talk to anybody uh main area of uh interaction amongst fans is on instagram which i've enjoyed as a very visual media and way to display the show so head over onto instagram as well perfect and i'll make sure to include links to all of those things that ken mentioned in the show notes so that they're really easy to find for you guys as always, there will be a transcript on the blog, and you can also find Ken and his show on our Podcast Pals page as well. Thank you all so much for listening and for being here, and I'll catch you next time. If you liked the show, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Rooted.Pod. We're on YouTube at Rooted.Podcast, and check out our website, RootedPod.com, for transcripts, updates, and so much more. Thanks for being here, and until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water.